Good morning, Hope Church. It's really good to be with you. And we're going to start with a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Father, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for grace. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for your word and pray that you would instruct us today, that you would enable us today to live the kind of life that is pleasing to you. So Father, I pray, help us today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Last week I mentioned that we would begin to look at the Sermon on the Mount. Now I'm only going to do a very shallow meander through otherwise we will be here for the next three years. Uh, we also need to recognise that this is the first of five discourses that Jesus gave. Now Jesus was surrounded by crowds but these discourses are aimed at his disciples. We'll have more to say about disciples later. But why am I highlighting this now? Because quite often the church spends a disproportionate amount of time focusing on unbelievers. Jesus' strategy was to focus on a smaller, more committed group, enabling them to live the kind of life that unbelievers would wish that they could have and so draw them in by the witness of a disciple's life. And these discourses outline this kind of life. They also answer the why of the second part of Matthew 28, 18 to 20. That's the, the Great Commission. And the latter part is often neglected. In verse 20 it says, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And this, this is the why. This is what they should be taught. When someone decides they want to be a disciple of Jesus and they repent, believe and are baptised and they ask the question, well, what next? This is the answer. Jesus's five discourses amongst other things. These are a clear teaching from Jesus for them to obey everything that he is commanding his disciples to obey. In his commentary on Matthew, which we will mention a number of times, M.J. Wilkins adds, he, that is Matthew the writer, has gathered together a collection of Jesus's messages that enable the church for all ages to carry out a crucial component of Jesus's final commission, that is, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And this is why these discourses are extremely important to the church. It's why we need to teach them and we need to go through them. It would help, not just me, but it would help you if you read these sections before coming to church uh, or before watching these videos. Um, this is Matthew 5 to 7. Uh, maybe you can even spend some time thinking about it as it will help you to understand what I'm teaching. I'm going to tackle the text in sections of the same topic. Some will be longer, others shorter. It's also vital that we recognise that Jesus' teaching was all about the kingdom. Without this understanding, we fail to see the radicalness of Jesus' teaching. It was not merely about a mental agreement or an assent, nor about making some space for Jesus and the church in our lives. No, it was about a relocation to another kingdom and learning how to live in that new kingdom under a new king. We'll mention the kingdom repeatedly as we move through these passages. 
So the first question that we need to ask in this introduction to the Sermon on the Mount is who was Jesus addressing with his message? The context here says that it was a large crowd, but then we see it says very clearly in verse 1 that Jesus begins to focus on his disciples. Now, we've got to be careful that we don't assume that means the 12 disciples because they had not at this point all been chosen. However, the term disciples does include a slightly wider group of people who were wanting or looking to attach themselves to Jesus. Now, this also makes sense in that Jesus is starting to define what it means to attach oneself to him. The scene that we have here is not unlike a modern evangelistic crusade. Um, and although Jesus is teaching his disciples, he throws out invitations to all listeners to become disciples of his. So he's surrounded by this massive crowd of people. He calls his disciples and starts teaching them. But the crowd is looking on and listening. And there are repeated invitations that Jesus makes for them to respond to become a disciple. M.J. Wilkins says, Matthew now records an extensive message that develops in detail the kind of life available to those who respond to the arrival of God's kingdom. Notice that this is not an inspirational sermon, but Jesus was giving practical instruction. There was something that he believed needed learning here. This was not a feel-good message, but it was an instructional message. M.J. Wilkins states, uh, Since Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is designed primarily for disciples, it can be designated as training in discipleship. So you get this idea, Jesus is beginning to train his disciples in the kind of behaviour and life that he expected of those who were going to be his disciples and live in his kingdom. It's a message about living a moral and ethical life before God. It's Jesus's message on the kingdom of heaven. It includes practical instruction on how to live in the kingdom. Jesus was addressing behavioural changes that were expected in his disciples. Now this is confirmed later on in chapter 5 verse 21 to 22 where Jesus contrasts. He says, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. Jesus is contrasting what now is, but what needs to change if you want to be a disciple of Jesus. There is a lot of content here, and it is extremely unlikely that Jesus gave this as a 30-minute message. More than likely, this lasted a number of days. And you remember other illustrations where people were there for that length of time, and so Jesus fed the 5,000. MJ Wilkins says about the content of this discourse, its opening words speak of the kingdom of heaven as a present possession. It declares different levels of status for those in the kingdom and announced the terms of entering it. The model prayer Jesus teaches his disciples has the coming of the kingdom as its central theme. And this admonition related to daily priorities of life emphasizes, uh, sorry, and his 
admonition related to daily priorities of life emphasizes seeking first the kingdom. The ultimate reward for those who truly know Jesus and do the will of his Father is to enter the kingdom of heaven. We're also wanting to note that Jesus is not advocating here how someone can enter the kingdom of God. If we want to answer that question, we need to look at the redemptive work of Jesus, that is his death um, and his burial and his resurrection um, uh, that, that he went through. But this discourse is to do with the fruit of the kind of life uh, or the fruit that a life should show when it has allied itself to Jesus. Jesus' teaching shows the kind of life that we can expect if we become a follower of Jesus in earnest. In many ways, it can be summarised by John the Baptist's comment to the Pharisees, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And this is that fruit. Now, some have argued that it is impossible to live out the Sermon on the Mount, and therefore they see it only as an ideal. M.J. Wilkins argues, Jesus addresses disciples who have already responded to his kingdom mission, which includes their prior repentance. While the Sermon on the Mount does indeed articulate an ideal that is impossible for fallen humans to attain, it is an ideal that disciples, disciples will strive to live um, in under the grace of God and the power of the Spirit in their everyday world. Jesus not only gives the ideal of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, but his description of life in the kingdom includes the enablement to attain that ideal. So what he's essentially saying is this, that yes, it would be impossible for an unbeliever to live out the Sermon on the Mount. But the sermon is given to disciples, those who would have repented and would have turned to Jesus. And that also means grace, the Holy Spirit and the enablement of God would come in to enable a disciple to live this kind of life. There's also an emphasis, as I've, as I've mentioned, on the kingdom nature of this discourse. It is not primarily how to live as a Christian but it is how to live in God's kingdom. Now, you might think there's not a lot of difference, but actually there's a huge amount of difference. And we cannot ignore the importance of living in God's kingdom. The kingdom provides the context of the Christian life. In contrasts, you know, there is a clear difference between the world and the kingdom. And this needs to be understood. Jesus constantly contrasts the world and the kingdom. Every kingdom has its own laws and requirements, and God's kingdom is no different. Now, the Sermon on the Mount makes this plain. We need to see this sermon as that instruction of life in the kingdom of God. This is clarified in his commentary on Matthew by M.J. Wilkins when he says, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is the first major teaching of Jesus found in the gospel delineating the core of what it means to live as Jesus' disciple. I emphasise this especially to counteract some who understand discipleship to be reserved for an advanced stage of commitment. From the biblical point of view, all Christians are disciples. 
So the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is not for a few more committed believers. This is the heart of Jesus' teaching for all Christians. This passage becomes quite a challenge. You'll note that Jesus' message is not as accommodating as much modern Christian teaching. This may well be that much modern Christian preaching is aimed at drawing people to Jesus and therefore it is fairly gentle and attractive in nature. Jesus' discourse, even though it's attractive, is one of no compromise. His discourse becomes harsher as it progresses. It demonstrates that God's kingdom is to be valued above all things. And no matter how difficult, it is the noblest of pursuits, yielding the greatest of fruit in life and a reward in the age that is to come. It is decidedly different from, from the view that sees the kingdom as undesirable and that people need to be enticed into this undesirable kingdom. There are two parables that demonstrate this point in Matthew, Matthew 13, 44 to 46. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid, and then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Only those who see the value of God's kingdom will make an effort to get into it. These parables are really clear. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is really only something that the most earnest will grab a hold of. Coaxing people into the kingdom, trying to persuade them into the kingdom without them seeing and understanding its value will, will um, prove to be a fruitless exercise. There is a really exciting aspect of the Sermon on the Mount, and that is that it focuses on the transformed life. Much of modern evangelism only looks at salvation. That is that the gospel that is preached is a gospel of forgiveness of sins only. It doesn't address the important issue of a transformed life and ongoing discipleship or ongoing following Jesus. And this has led in the church to the acceptance of anyone as a follower of Christ as long as they have prayed the prayer, even though there may be no transformation of life. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount puts paid to this. It is all about transformed behaviour. Note that this behaviour will not save you, but it is a demonstration that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. It's a demonstration that grace has been supplied to you. It's a demonstration that there is a change occurring in you as a fruit of your repentance. And the Sermon on the Mount enables people to live in it because of the work of salvation and the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. Now, this will cause some challenge among us. MJ Wilkins says, there is a progression of teaching in these discourses that addresses the fullness of the disciples' life. Matthew was the favorite gospel of the early church throughout much of church history because it was a natural, catechal, 
uh, tool designed to develop holistic disciples. Catechal means it was used for religious instruction. I really pray and hope that Matthew becomes one of our favourites too. MJ Wilkins adds, we would do well to return to Matthew on a regular basis throughout our lives, both for guidance in our own development as Jesus' disciples, but also for our use in guiding others within our ministries. I want to encourage you to engage with God's word. Make some time to read through the Sermon on the Mount as often as you are able. Sometimes we are so busy we need to schedule that time in. Do write down any questions that you might have. You're welcome to email them to me or I'm hopefully going to answer those as we go through the text. Pray through the challenges it brings in your life. You know, one of the things that challenges me is that when I read the Bible, it challenges how I'm living. It challenges how I'm behaving. And if I only see that I need to agree with it in my mind and not change in terms of my behaviour, then I've missed the truth of what is being taught. And I want to pray this morning. I'm going to finish in a moment, but I want to pray um, as I finish that God would work in your life, that you would rise to the challenge. Remember, the Holy Spirit will give you everything that you need for life and godliness. He will empower you to live this kind of life. Together, we will tackle this section of teaching and we will find grace to live it. I pray that this will cause hunger and thirsting for this kind of a life. I pray that it will lead to a greater openness in us to God and that it will bring us to the start of this great discourse that starts with blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to continue next week. We're going to continue with Matthew chapter 5 and I want to encourage you, please read through uh, this week in preparation for that. Let's pray as we conclude today. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you don't just leave us to meander through, but you give us clear instruction about how we are to live in this world. And as we begin to look at the teaching of Jesus, I want to pray that you would help us as we read through Matthew 5 to 7 this week. Father, would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would you change us? And I want to pray more than anything that you would be given a gift of faith. This is, again, not teaching to make us despondent, not teaching to make us think it's impossible, but it's teaching to show us exactly what is possible by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit in our experience. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, help us, enable us in that precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a really great day and we will see you again soon.